Coffee with God, of course. He brews. The healthiest thing that a person could do is truly imagine having a conversation with God. And it's entirely possible because we do have the Bible. And the Bible promises us that this is a conversation with God. And there's no reason to expect God to have any other disposition as we talk with God than the disposition of a coffee shop conversation, just sitting down and having a cup of coffee with God. Probably not even a coffee in a coffee shop, but how about in your house, just in your living room, chilling out, maybe on your deck, you know, chilling out, uh, something to that effect. So get your 40 together of your favorite brew, if you know what I mean. And uh, well, this one might be a little bit shorter, so you'll have to drink up. And let's indeed hear what God has to say. Jesus, the blood, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 14. to the biblical channel we are so glad that you are here always and um, our number one goal is to just try to help people understand their bible better and uh, every generation has to take it upon themselves to understand the bible better and get the good news of the bible better out there if you know what i'm saying and that's our goal we don't mean to offend anybody we're not trying to ruffle anybody's feathers but we are trying to get you to well Get God into your life in a more serious way and in a more fun-loving way as well. So anywho, that's what we do here at the Biblical Channel. And we are big fans of praying when we get started here in the way that Jesus taught us how to pray because there couldn't be a better prayer if Jesus gave us a prayer. So we'll just use that one, Our Father in Heaven, which reminds us, Our Father in Heaven, that the best Father's Day ever is knowing that we can call you our Dad who is in Heaven. Well, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day your daily bread, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, well, who have debts against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That prayer never gets old. That's the heart and soul of it. Nothing more, nothing less really needs to be said. Amen. So anywho, we are diving into a shorter passage, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 14, which should, in you know all practical senses, lend itself to, well, a shorter conversation. So, so um, anywho, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 14, it goes like this. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things, that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the pure for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, 
purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Praise be to God for his words. That's the section of text, a little shorter. So we're just going to read it up front and we're going to dive in right now. So diving in right now must have some sort of admission that this passage is talking about things that, well, I think we've relegated to perhaps the category of weird. Weird, man, because it's talking about blood. And Christians do talk about blood. And I remember whenever I came to church one time, and I was not a very uh, sharp on the uptake Christian, if I was at all. I don't know how you'd describe me at this point in time. But I showed up in a church one time when they were singing uh, Power in the Blood of Jesus. And I remember I did not even attempt to sing to this song. And I thought, what is this song all about? Power in the Blood. I'm just telling you, Christians, if you go running around saying power in the blood of Christ, you are going to be considered a weirdo. Nobody knows what you're talking about, and it seems a little on the strange side. Um, that song would be for the insiders only, those who really you know, have a firm grasp, a grasp of what's going on with this topic of blood and why blood ends up becoming, well, from God's point of view, something very significant for us to think about. Okay, so with that on the table, the passage, you know, talks about blood and it talks about, you know, the old sacrificial system and it talks about what Christ has done as being so much better, which has been the Hebrews perspective, you know, the, he, the letter to the Hebrews, um, the, that book in the Bible that we've been studying has made a pretty big deal out of how Christ has made everything better. In fact, the uh, opening line that we that we read and the closing line that we read, if we just read it again, but when Christ appeared as high priest of good things that have come, who through the Holy Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I like that opening line. Christ as high priest is high priest of the good things. He's high priest of the good things that have come. Now, I think there's a lot going on in that little line. And as we, as we try to digest how the good things that have come involve a conversation about blood, I mean, Jesus, the blood? Are you kidding me? As the English might say, bloody hell, what are we talking about? Um, let's take a step backwards and, and, do a little hard thinking for ourselves. Now, you've heard me say it before, but if you're or you know people that are not big fans of history, it mostly has to do, I believe, with they don't like to read. And honestly, sometimes we just don't like to think either. But if you go running around saying, well, I don't like history, then the truth of the matter is, is that you will be, well, an ungrateful snob, because if you don't understand history, the history of humanity, then you're going to be very ignorant about a lot of things that have gone on before you ever got here. And if you're ignorant of the things that have gone on before you ever got here, then you're probably going to be pretty arrogant about the things that you hear of. And the whole point of education 
you know, from kindergarten to high school is to really give people a grasp of 3,000 to 4,000 years, well, we'll say 4,000 years of history. And if you can't and don't and won't grasp 4,000 years of history, I don't think you're going to be a very good contributor to the world that we know of because you're most likely going to end up, well, being fairly arrogant and ignorant in the approaches or the things that you think about, you know, when it comes to modern day civilization, the modern day world. We are all the product of a long process that's been going on. We all arrived here as the process had changed a significant amount. And why did the process change a significant amount? Well, if you go back into your own history, which maybe that would be more interesting than anything, I guarantee your own history, if you went back far enough, you would find your ancestry sacrificing blood sacrifices. You would find your ancestry, your people group, your tribal beginnings, whatever you might want to call that, um, your homo sapien beginnings. You will find in your history sacrificers. And not only sacrificers, but you might actually find in your own history human sacrificers. That's right. Not only are you going to find the bloody mess of sacrificial systems in your past if you go back far enough, but but you're also going to 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 find that you know all human history, everybody's tribe played around with sacrificial systems as the answer to giving some sort of, you know, satisfaction to God or the gods, so to speak. It's in all of our background. And so the Bible, the Bible's, you know, very unique perspective is that God has been involved in human history from the very beginning because he's the initiator, the creator of human and that means human history. And being the initiator and the creator of humans, therefore it's history. The one thing that God does that's quite unique to the Bible is that he actually uses the things that human beings have become familiar with in order to progress them into some better thinking. And so sacrificial systems are things that humans have done in every culture outside of the Bible. In fact, humans have even sacrificed humans and their sacrificial systems get, well, fairly strange and weird beyond the blood and the sprinkling of ashes and the sprinkling of blood and all of this kind of stuff. It's part of our history. It's part of our past. And God's unique perspective is that he takes that, he takes that very common, very usual um, thing that human beings did in their attempt to please the gods and that he actually uses that to actually get us going into a better direction, into a better mindset, into a better framework of thinking. So um, where, where we're heading in this text requires a little bit of appreciation for that fact that not only are we the product of human sacrificers. I mean, when you talk about, you know, human sacrificers, um, you know, 
we typically think, oh, that was them. That was some crazy group out there. But the fact is, is you're going to find, if you go deep enough, yourself in that history. We've come a long way, baby. And I will propose to you that it's actually Jesus Christ. It's Christianity that kind of brought a huge change to bring about the modern day world that we know. And, and silly scholars and silly intellectuals try to make it seem like Israel's sacrificial system was just like everybody else's. It was a bloody mess, bloody hell, if you know what I'm saying, and that uh, it was no different. But that is not the case, and that is not the truth in it whatsoever. So when it comes to Israel's sacrificial system, you know, the one thing I think that you need to remember is that God loves us the way that we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. And human beings developing this, you know, habit of sacrificing, God knew that we needed more information about him. We needed better information about him. We needed a better process of understanding about ourselves and him and the relationship that's supposed to exist between us and God. And so in the history of Israel, there's no doubt that God had created a sacrificial system for Israel to practice. No doubt. You have a large chunk of the Old Testament, you know, that is about this sacrificial system. Um, and, and Christians, even Christians have become, you know, very ignorant and arrogant when it comes to history because I showed up at a Bible study one time whenever I was just becoming a Christian, and, and, and I had people tell me very clearly that they don't like the Old Testament, that they don't, that if, you know, they never read the Old Testament because they, they just think it's all, you know, too much, or they just don't like it. And, and, and what I'm here to tell you is, is, is that if you say that, then what you are really being is quite rude and arrogant towards God and all of humanity. Because in that story of the Old Testament is how God takes a sacrificial system that on the outside looked like, I suppose, most other nations' sacrificial systems. He took something that looked like what everybody was doing and that people were kind of comfortable with because everybody did it, and he changed it. He changed it. So on the outside, it looked the same, but the, on the inside, the closer you got to it, the different, the more different it became. And one of the things that even from afar, the Israel sacrificial system did that was quite different than everybody else's is no human being. So the Bible in God's sacrificial system, you know, makes it abundantly clear that humans are never, ever, 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 ever to be sacrificed. And those of you who might like Rome and Rome's history and Greece and Greece's history or whatever, you're going to find that even they were quite comfortable with sacrificing humans to somehow satisfy the gods. They may not have done it as much as others, but they did it. And so did pretty much every culture out there. Okay, so you're not going to see in Israel's sacrificial system any humans. You're also not going to see any sex in the sacrificial system. That's right, sex. When it comes to the ancient cultures and even the, the, the Roman, Greco, you know, kind of culture, and really any, many, many, many cultures um, that had sacrificial systems, rites, rituals, temples, this kind of thing, 
you're also going to find a heavy dose of sexual intercourse going on. It was part of the regular practice of fertility. Practicing fertility as human beings was thought to please the gods. And so not only are you going to find a bloody mess in all these sacrificial systems, but you're going to find all kinds of weird, strange, perverted ideas. And that too, God is going to have absolutely nothing or none, none of that going on in Israel's sacrificial system. And then when you get really close to Israel's sacrificial system, you start to really see how different it was and how revolutionary, radical, I mean radical, it was radically different because when you got up and close to Israel's sacrificial system, what you became keenly aware of is that this was a learning lesson of life between you and God. And what I mean by that is that Israel's sacrificial system was not about putting, you know, some sort of poor animal on the Barbie and throwing blood all around and sprinkling everybody and hoping that the gods would somehow find this to be great or good stuff. No, no, no. Israel's sacrificial system was really about the personal person and their relationship with God. And it really had to deal with the seriousness of sin, that sin affects our relationships with other people, and it certainly affects our relationship with God. And so Israel's sacrificial system was about recognizing your own personal faults in relationships, whether it be between people or with God. And coming to the temple might have looked the same, or that coming to the tabernacle might have looked the same, slaughtering, you know, a heifer or a goat, you know, and throwing blood and, and onto the audience. And even the ashes, you know, were thrown onto the audience, the members, the people who showed up. It might have looked like the same thing, but the words and the ideas behind it were entirely different because you know, what you found out is, is that that bull or that goat was an innocent victim that was dying because of something you did. That innocent bull or goat, its death was costly to you. It was very costly. And that was the, the whole point of Israel's sacrificial system was the costliness of sin. How it just makes a train wreck in our society. It makes a train wreck in our personal relationship with God. And this is what needs to be resolved. And so Israel's sacrificial system began with a personal admission that you were there because of a personal failure of some regards, whether it concerned your neighbor, your wife, your children, um, or between you and God. And so this, this innocent animal is slain and slaughtered. And yeah, it was a bloody mess. Um, but you also had to bring your best, not the worst. So you couldn't say, well, I did something wrong. So I'm going to take that uh, bull or that sheep or goat or whatever it was. I'm going to take that one because it's going to probably die tomorrow anyhow. So I'll take that one. No, 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 no. This one, the one you had to take was the best that you possibly had, meaning the one that you were planning on taking to the 4-H show or the you know future farmers, you know, kind of show you, you expected a blue ribbon for this one. You're going to get lots of money for this one. That's the one that you took because once again, it reemphasized re the emphasis of the costliness of your sin. So Israel's sacrificial system 
was really quite tame compared to the rest of the world's, which was wild and crazy. Israel's sacrificial system was very orderly and it was very specific about, you know, you being there because of something that you had done wrong and you wanted to get things right again. And so there had to be this reckoning of sorts. And yes, blood was shed so that you so that you would learn your own lesson of the costliness of sin. And so blood features very strongly in the Old Testament as, you know, the, in it, the, the shed blood of something innocent happens because of something you personally did. And then there was also, you know, the Day of Atonement, which was when the whole group gathered together, all of Israel gathered together, recognizing there was some stuff that they had forgotten about or didn't take care of. And, and so it was kind of like an all-encompassing day. But once again, Israel's sacrificial system was about the believer learning how important, you know, and how costly sin can be, you know, in our lives and the importance of getting reconciled with your neighbor, with the one that you, you know, grieved and with God. So this is nothing like is going on in the rest of the ancient world. Nothing at all. So, you know, Thomas Hobbes is right whenever he says the old world was simply nasty, brutish and short. That is absolutely true. But when it comes to Israel's sacrificial system, it wasn't nasty and it was not brutish. And it was really about, you know, getting your lifespan longer because you were in better relationships with people. So this is quite different. And this is the real story of God taking human history and taking what's familiar to humans in certain par parts of history and taking what seems to be like what everybody else is doing and then moving the ball further to advance the thinking into something far better. But that is certainly never where God had intended to leave it. He wanted something even far better to get away from these bulls and goats and sacrificial systems. He never intended for that, that sacrificial system that Israel was giving to be the be all and the end all of the world's sacrificial systems. No, there was something even better. And that something even better is what he's talking about when it comes to Jesus Christ. And honestly, honestly, if you are a student of history, you have to admit that it was really Christianity that really brought an end to the world's craziness the bloodiness. It was Jesus' blood that actually brought an end to the bloodiness and the nastiness and, and the brutishness of the old world and kind of set us up for what we you know, expect now in modern day times. We don't expect to show up at anybody's temple or mosque um, or, or uh, tabernacle or church and see blood being shed. We don't expect that. Why? Because Jesus Christ took the whole process on himself and his shed blood on the cross ended up being the once and for all sacrifice. So let's just pick up on the way that the author says this. He says, then through the greater and more perfect tent. So Jesus is in a tent or a tabernacle or a temple that is far greater than anything here on earth. 
because his tent is not made with hands. His tent is made by God. So, so everything he does is on a better scale no matter what. And this entering once for all into the holy places is an end, a clear statement that ends Israel's sacrificial system because he's going to go into the holy places. Now, if you know something about Israel's sacrificial system, you might know that the only person that could ever get into the Holy of Holies was one priest once a year, and that priest had to get into there by sacrificing the blood of bulls and calves, you know, in order to get in just for the moment once a year. And that's what the author is referring to, not by means of blood and goats and calves. Jesus did not... Jesus did not get into the most holy places because he, you know, because he sacrificed blood, you know, the blood of goats and bulls. No, 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 no. He secures it by his own blood. So Jesus priesthood, as we talked about last week, doesn't begin until, well, he is crucified and raised and raised into the heavenly glory, which is where God is and yet who Jesus is, is God. And so God himself and Jesus Christ begins the priesthood that really ends all priesthoods and certainly ends all sacrificial system because of his own blood shed. And his own blood was shed, not because he was guilty, but because we are guilty. So he took the place of that bull, of that calf, anything that you think about putting on that altar of sacrifice, he took the place of in order to secure us eternal redemption. So this is the point of the author. Jesus brings an end to the bloody hell. Jesus brings an end to the bloodbath that, you know, the ancient world was so comfortable with, really. Jesus brings an end of the bulls and the goats needing to be sacrificed. You know, all of that comes to an end because Jesus himself was sacrificed. His own blood will serve as the bloodshed for all human beings, any human being, every human being. And that this, this sets up really the modern world that we know because it creates now I guess, a religion and a philosophy that is of the mind and of the heart, not of a temple and not of a ritual and not of a practice or, you know, a particular place. But the whole person is now in mind. And that's how this passage ends. Who through the Holy or through the eternal spirit offered himself without a blemish. So Jesus was a perfect, you know, specimen. Uh, he was a human being without sin, but he was also God, but he sacrificed himself to really bring an end to the craziness of this world. And the craziness of this world really ends whenever, as the author says, our consciences are purified. And, and it's really this work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ that purifies our conscience and brings us forgiveness and mercy, and it settles our soul. And as it settles our soul, we come to grips 
with the reality of serving God and realizing that serving God and loving God and trusting God actually brings the modern world to being. And it brings a calmer, a, a more focused, kind, and gentle modern world. There is no doubt the modern world that we live in is far gentler and kinder than the old world ever was. And you can thank Jesus for that. Even those who don't think Jesus is important should thank Jesus for really bringing an end to the crazy bloodiness of the sacrificial system. Because once Christianity grew and its influence grew, it really made other cultures' sacrificial systems mm, obviously incomparable obviously incompatible with the modern worlds. Jesus Christ himself should be a no surprise, actually brought about the modern world that we live in, and we should give him thanks. But the reason why he did it is not just to have a modern world, because God is concerned to bring us into the healthiest place that we can, to actually hear a good, solid conversation that involves the history of humanity so that we can see how God does love us the way that we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way that we are and that he actually brings us to a better place when we allow him. And that better place that, that he brings us to is the place of eternal redemption, the place of security, the place of peace, the place where, where we have our consciences changed to that of serving God, loving God, trusting God. And when we do that, the world does become a better place. And the world has become a better place. I hope the world doesn't turn its head or back on the things that Jesus has accomplished, because I have a feeling that the world will once again start getting mean and nasty, just like Thomas Hobbes used to say. Nasty, brutish, and short. Because when people ignore the history that they come from, well, they simply become ignorant and arrogant. And I don't know about you, but I feel like the culture that I live in today is a cocktail speaking of our drinks, is a cocktail of arrogance and ignorance. When I hear people speak, especially on the news, I hear that cocktail of ignorance and arrogance that is only going to make things worse, not better. Jesus Christ, God himself, is the one who has always made things better. We're the ones who are always making things worse. You know, when you think about those, those uh, Egyptian pyramids, do you ever think about what that was all about? How the Egyptians and even the Chinese were so willing to put their own people uh, to death uh, in, in work and in service. If they felt like they had too many people, then they simply employed them to build these ridiculously sized tombs. And inside of these ridiculously sized tombs. Not only did, did, did thousands upon thousands of people die in the hardship of building these tombs for a king, but there would be people slaughtered upon the Pharaoh or the king's death 
and just thrown in there too so that he might have some good company. This is the product of the ancient world. This is what the culture of the ancient world is. This is our heritage. This is who we once were. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, that's who you once were. Jesus Christ said, I'm going to do away with this. And it's going to start with having a pure conscience, a good conscience that's ready to serve God and ready to acknowledge that we need God's mercy, that we need God's forgiveness. And when we ourselves recognize that we need God's mercy and we need God's forgiveness, lo and behold, guess what? The world does become a better place because we're better to one another and we're certainly better towards God. Well, I'm going to leave us right there. It's been great hanging with you, and we'll see you next time.